morning and happy Sabbath. Welcome to the Campion Seventh-day Adventist Church. And to those who, of you who are tuning online, a uh, very big welcome to you as well. Uh, today's a high Sabbath. We have a little bit of a combination of things going on. We have our regular church service, but we also have the West Central Young Adults here doing their first annual conference, Young Adult Conference. And so we're excited to be blending these together, and we're excited to have the Academy back with us as well. Just want to make a quick announcement about the fact that we are still under COVID guidelines, which means we are still asking you to wear masks. That's really coming down from the, from the city and the county. And as you know, as we've done in the past, the sanctuary floor is reserved during the nine o'clock service for the academy and the upstairs the balcony and the overflow in the atrium that is for those others who are joining us during this worship service so if you could please kind of comply for that that would with that that would help us with uh, with the county regulations if you're attending for the very first time or if you're seeing us online for the very first time we want to welcome you especially we have uh, some cards here that you can some connect cards right in the in the pews that you can grab or you can connect with us through our contact number 970-279-3432. Give us a text. Let us know who you are. We have a special gift that we want to send you if you are first attending at the Campion Church. Once again, welcome, and we are in for an amazing Sabbath. And speaking of the Sabbath, we've got three things to know, to be aware of. The, uh, today, there's evangelism training that's tomorrow morning, but this afternoon at three o'clock, there is the final presentation of D. Casper on mobilizing us to awaken to the times we live. But tomorrow morning, there's also an invitation from eight to 10.30 to attend more of a classroom discussion-based uh, training. That's tomorrow morning. If you're saying, oh, I'd like to come to the three o'clock. Oh, by the way, there's two o'clock outreach. Oh, what about lunch? There is lunch that is being put together. So if you came and, and you'd like to stay around, the second service, by the way, is a different sermon. So you could stay all, the, all through uh, the afternoon and there is lunch provided. Camping number two. There is a cooking class this Thursday, 6.30, in the community center. It's uh, plant-based plant -based, gluten-free. That would be Thursday evening. Number three, next Friday, there is Friday evening, uh, an hour of power. Uh, prayer time here at the church, and then Sabbath uh, from 3 to 5, there is prayer here at the church as well as an outreach initiative. And so next Sabbath, we're asking everybody to clear their schedule. Come on, 3 to 5, let's go visit some shut-ins, let's go invite people to the Easter program, let's spread out across our community, and then there will be a uh, prayer time, a group here praying as well, so you can uh, participate in either one of those. That's our Campion 3 to advance the mission of Jesus. And welcome again to Campion. Let's worship. Good morning and happy Sabbath. Please stand for our opening hymn, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name.
Good, good morning, happy Sabbath. Good morning, happy Sabbath. That sounds great, that sounds better. It's great to see everyone here this morning. This semester, we are launching into our spring semester of Grow Groups. And next to me, I have a friend. Her name is Cody. And she's going to be sharing a little bit about her Grow Group. Cody, share, share with us a little bit about what your Grow Group is and what you do. So our Grow Group is for the Academy students because we don't get to see this. This looks so awesome, like all the energy that's here and the students. Uh, so our Grow Group is just focused on uh, doing little acts of service and providing some food here and there and some activities and just some things to let you guys know that you matter to us. That's awesome. Now, uh, why do you have this grow group? Uh, so this grow group came out of basically the, the empty seats that we have next to us when you guys aren't here. And it just feels really empty. And really, this is your church. You know, I mean, we're here on this campus because you're here on this campus. So we want to let you know how much you matter to us. That's awesome. Students, have you been blessed by these baggies and these gifts? That's because of Cody and the team who have decided to bless you by serving you. And so what's amazing about this grow group, and by the way, we have 26 options. You can see it in our catalog. 26 options this semester starts tomorrow. What's amazing about Cody's team is that, and I really believe that life and service is better when we do it together. And what's amazing is that they're blessing you by getting a group of people who are saying, hey, let's serve together. This semester, we want to bless others. In fact, this semester of Grow Groups, which starts tomorrow, we want to fill an empty chair. We want to bring people who don't know Christ, who, who aren't connected to church, alongside us to serve and to experience joy in community. So if you have not signed up for a Grow Group yet, or maybe you're hearing about this for the first time, you can sign up online, you can see our bulletin online, and we even have our grow group tables on your way out where you can sign up for our grow group today. We have 26 options. You can look up, you can look up all the options here in the catalog. We'd love you to be a part of our grow group. Thanks for your time, God bless. Now it's time for the children's story. If all the children would please come forward. Remember to leave some distance between each other. Thank you. 
Good morning, friends. I brought my friend with me today. Do you guys know what this is? Yes, we have a little girl here that knows. What's this? Sheep. This is a sheep. Our story today is about a sheep. And it's going to be a story for us and all of our friends out here, too, because we all need to hear this story. Did you guys know that sheep have a, a view of vision, a range of vision that goes 270 to 320 degrees? So when they're standing here, they can see things all the way beside them. They can see stuff all around. So they can see wide angle. And so that means if you're coming up behind them or beside them, they usually see you coming. Did you know that they also can smell not just with their nose, but they can smell with their feet and their eyes. They have scent glands on their feet and their eyes. How crazy is that? So that's another amazing way that God created sheep. Also, have you guys seen how sheep, when they eat, their front lip has a, like a slight slit in the middle. So they eat and their lips move different ways. And that's because they're very picky eaters. So they eat around what they don't like and they use their lips to do that. So this, this guy's name is Shrek. So this sheep, we're hearing a story today about Shrek. Shrek strayed from his shepherd and got lost in a cave for six years. He was hiding in a cave for six years and they didn't know where he was. So when they found him, he was really wooly. He was just round. He had crazy amount of wool. When they sheared him, he weighed up to, the wool that they took off him weighed 60 pounds. When normally, when they shear him every year, it weighs less than 10 pounds. So he was carrying like six times what he would have needed to because he was hiding for six years. And when they took the wool that came from him, <laughs> they could have made 10 men's suits with it. It was that much wool. And this reminds us of in the Bible, Jesus tells us he's our shepherd and he's always looking for us. And um, he always is calling us to come back to him because he promises us that when we come to him, that he puts his yoke on us for his burden is light. Do you think Shrek was carrying a way bigger burden than he would have needed to? with all that wool. God calls us to come back to him and to give him our hearts daily because his yoke is easy and we don't have to carry all the burdens. So thanks for coming up and you can go back to your seats. Onward Christian Soldiers. Oh, my God. 
time for our theme song, so I'd like to invite you to stand. We're going to sing it through once. Our theme song is based off of our theme text in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Uh, Kenny and I are going to lead that out. So we invite you to uh, listen, if you don't know it, the first time through, and then sing along the next time. Sabbath. God gave us a calling. He told us, I have a job for you. I need you to go out and tell people about me. I need you to go out and tell people how wonderful I am because I am coming soon and I want everyone to come back. 
And so God has put this calling on each and every one of us. And here, at the, uh, us at West Central Adults, we wanted to help with that calling. We wanted to help people be able to get out in their community. And so we've put together an outreach project every single month for the next year. Now these projects have been uh, looked at, they've been specifically designed for you and your church to go out, get in the community, help people, tell them about God, tell them about how wonderful He really is. Now, uh, every month we're going to be putting training videos up on our website, it's wcyoungadults.org. We're going to be putting training videos on how to do these outreach projects. And it's going to be uh, simple stuff, not too hard, you know, stuff like uh, maybe go glowing, pass out glow tracks, uh, maybe uh, collect food for uh, the homeless, or something like that. So simple stuff, but we're going to have training videos on how to do that. And then once you guys have gone out, you've done that, we'd love to hear how it went. So just as soon as you do it, send us a message. Tell us, uh, here's how it went. This is what happened. And if you have any questions, let us know, and we'll be sure to answer them. Now, this afternoon at 2 p.m., we are starting that very first outreach. Uh, so for the very first outreach, that very first project we're starting this afternoon, we are putting together homeless bags uh, for the homeless or the needy. Uh, we're going to be trying to put together 2,000 bags. Now, here's the deal. We only have 45 minutes to do that. And that's a lot of bags to put together in four, 45 minutes. So we need at least 40, 50 people in there putting bags together to get it all done. So you don't have anything to do this afternoon? 2 p.m. at the HMS gym. Now, let's say you say, well, there's lunch, and I don't know what to do about that because I need to eat, because it's healthy to eat most of the time, and, and uh, I want to be over there. Don't worry about that. We have a meal for you. So if you want to stick around and help with the outreach afterwards, go down to the kitchen in the church, and we have lunch prepared for you. Now, we're going to sing a... Uh, prayer song, and as soon as that prayer song is over, I invite you to kneel and uh, bring your burdens to Christ. Father in heaven, we're kneeling before you here today. You've put such a great calling on all of our hearts. And you came down to this earth. You died for us so that we might 
be in heaven, and all that you ask is that we accept that you are our Lord and Savior, and then that we go out and we tell people about you, and about how wonderful you are, and about how unbelievable it is that you would die so that we could go and spend eternity with you. It's unimaginable how much love that you actually have for us. Father, there's some names that come to my head today of people that may be struggling um, with sickness or uh, death in some families, sorrows, issues, and uh, that's that you be with them. But what's amazing is that because you came down, because you died for us, and because you made it so simple and so easy for us to get into heaven, that all of our problems can be wiped away. As soon as we get up there, all we have to do is say, Lord, I want you to be my savior. I want you to be in my life. And we definitely won't regret it. I can bet on that because you really are wonderful. And I see you be with D as he brings us a message this morning. That's so you be, uh, not his words, but it would be God's word speaking through him to us, and that we are blessed, uh, and we can see how amazing God really is. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
guys should say amen to that. That was amazing. Amen? Thank you, ladies. That was beautiful. I was like, they stopped and there was no amens. It's like, Kenny, no one said amen. It was beautiful. All right, hey, let's pray. Sweet Jesus, as we come into your presence this morning, we are desperately seeking you to do in this moment something that none of us would soon forget. I don't have what is necessary, but you do, and I'm reminded of the lyrics of a song that if you would choose to use me, my Savior, in spite of my fears and all of my failures, I'm not much to look at, but whatever I am, I'm yours. I'm yours. Jesus, use me, I'm yours, is my plea. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we'll be discussing the topic of the faith of Jesus. I believe what Revelation chapter 14 of verse 12 is alluding to is one of the most impactful and powerful things we could ever encounter, and I hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you this evening. We're told in the 1888 materials that the want the desire and the need in the religious experience is the acceptance of Jesus Christ as is presented in the gospel. We're told in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And this implies some things. The first thing it implies is that he sees value in what he's seeking. Right? And it also implies that he's the one taking the initiative to bring about the solution, even though we are in a terrible condition. Jesus sees something of value in you. Whether you do or not, he sees it. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus didn't just write a check for the price of sin. He literally became the embodiment of your sin and received the wrath of God toward that sin to set you free. Now, what that looks like and what that teaches us about the faith of Jesus is the purpose of this morning's presentation. In John chapters 13 to 17, Desire of Ages, the commentary on the life of Christ, alludes to this idea that Jesus had been earnestly conversing with his disciples and instructing them. But as he neared Gethsemane, he became strangely silent. He had often visited this spot for meditation and prayer, but never with a heart so full of sorrow as upon this night of his last agony. Throughout his life on earth, Jesus had walked in the light of God's presence. His whole life had been filled with the assurance and the affirmation of God's presence. But when in conflict with men who were inspired by the very spirit of Satan, he could say, He that is with me, or he that sent me, is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. But now he seemed to be shut out from the light of God's sustaining presence. Jesus, always living in eternal fellowship and the glowing presence of God, now in this moment feels shut out from God's presence. He was numbered with the transgressors now. The guilt of fallen humanity he must bear, and upon him who knew no sin must be weighed the iniquity of us all. So dreadful does sin appear to him. So great is the weight of guilt which he must bear that he is tempted to fear that it will shut him out forever from his father's love. Guys, this is so bad and so heavy that he is fully tempted to believe that he will forever be shut out from the father's love. The father 
you know, the one that he's been in eternal fellowship with, that he's completely cut off. Feeling how terrible is the wrath of God against transgression, he exclaims to the disciples, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. And as they approached the garden, the disciples had marked the change that came over their master. Never before had they seen him so utterly sad and silent. And as he proceeded, the strange sadness deepened, yet they dared not question him as to the cause. And his form swayed as if he were about to fall. Upon reaching the garden, the disciples looked anxiously for his usual place of retirement that their master might rest. And every step that he now took was with labored effort. And he groaned aloud as if under the pressure of a terrible burden. Jesus wails in this moment. It's so overwhelming to him. Twice his companions supported him or he would have fallen to the ground. It's literally as if the entire weight of the sin of the world is heaped upon this man's shoulders and his legs give out as if he's about to fall and the disciples have to catch him twice or he would have collapsed to the ground. He felt that by sin, he was being separated from his father. The gulf was so broad, so black, so deep that his spirit shuddered before it. The agony he must, this agony, he must not exert his divine power to escape. As man, he must suffer the consequences of man's sin, and as man, he must endure the wrath of God against transgression. Guys, he has never felt shame. He has never felt guilt. But in this moment, it literally feels to him as if he is the only guilty party in the universe, and it is crippling him. Christ was now standing in a different attitude from that in which he had ever stood before. As the substitute and surety for sinful man, sinful man, Christ was suffering under divine justice, and he saw what justice meant. Hitherto, he had been as an intercessor for others, but now he longed to have an intercessor for himself. I wish somebody would pray for me, because it's hard. And the psychological agony that Jesus is going through right now is so intense that physiologically he begins to bleed through his pores. The life forces are being pressed out of Jesus at this stage. You know what the word Gethsemane means? It's the press. It's a place where they smash oil out of olives. Well, Jesus is having the life forces pressed from him because of the weight of the sin of the world. Now, you and I, under these circumstances, we can just check out emotionally. We've got this emotional hardware. Anyone who works in a trauma setting or first responders, they understand what I'm talking about. They just, when you see people in those circumstances, they check out. They just turn into vegetables. The lights are on, but no one's home. We have that built within us, but Jesus doesn't have that option. Jesus can't run to Facebook when he's too convicted, right? Jesus can't escape by running to something else. He has to stare down the gun barrel of the guilt of the universe, and there's nowhere for him to run. There's nowhere for him to run. He suffers, and he suffers alone. And what was to be gained by this sacrifice? How hopeless seemed the guilt and ingratitude of men. And in its hardest features, Satan pressed the situation upon the Redeemer. The people who claim to be above all others in temporal and spiritual advantages have rejected you, Jesus. They're seeking to destroy you. One of your own disciples who's listened to your instruction has been among the foremost in church activities will betray you. 
one of your most zealous followers will deny you. All will forsake you. And Christ's whole being abhorred the thought that those whom he had undertaken to save, those whom he loved so much, should unite in the plots of Satan. This pierced his soul. The conflict was terrible. The sins of men weighed heavily upon Christ, and the sense of God's wrath against sin was crushing out his life. Guys, not one hand has been laid upon Jesus at this stage. No crown of thorns, no whippings, no scourgings, no punching in the face or spitting in the face. He is already to the point of death solely because he's bearing the weight of your sin and of mine. Behold him contemplating the price to be paid for the human soul. In his agony, he clings to the cold ground as if to prevent himself from being drawn any further from God. You know, the human heart longs for sympathy in suffering. Is that true? Yeah. This longing Christ felt to the very depths of his being. In the supreme agony of his soul, he came to the disciples with a yearning desire to hear some words of comfort from those whom he had so often blessed and comforted and shielded in sorrow and distress. All this guy has done is give and give and give, but in this moment, when he's bearing the weight of the sin of the world, I wish these guys, one of them, would just crawl across that cold gravel and lay a hand on my shoulder and just be with me. They can't tell him it's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. But he doesn't get that, unfortunately. The one who had always words of sympathy for them was now suffering superhuman agony, and he longed to know that they were praying for him and for themselves. Were they? No. How dark seemed the malignity of sin. Terrible was the temptation to let the human race bear the consequences of its own guilt while he stood innocent before God. He is strongly tempted to leave us in this moment, guys, because we're manifesting no compassion, no form of sympathy, no appreciation, and the devil is reminding him of this reality. Where are your boys, Jesus? And where are his boys? Sleeping because they're overwhelmed with sorrow, because Jesus is falling apart before their very eyes and they don't know how to deal with that. So they check out. But if he could only know that his disciples understood and appreciated what he was going through, he would be strengthened. Did they? No. So was he strengthened? No. And then Jesus prays three prayers in desperation, begging the Father to change his mind. Father, if it's possible, please let this cup pass from me. And in that moment, your face comes into the mind of Jesus. And this is what gives him the intrinsic motivation to even verbalize the words, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. But his flesh shrinks from this, his humanity shrinks from this responsibility again. Father, please, if there's any other way, I'll take it. 
But again, he's reminded of your fate. Nevertheless, if this is what it takes, I'll do it. Father, please. But nevertheless, the cup he's referring to here is the same cup in Revelation chapter 14. It's the cup of God's unmingled wrath. And Jesus is drinking this thing to the dregs, guys. We're told twice in Testimonies from the Volume of the Church, or Testimonies for the Church, Volume 2, page 204, that Jesus in this moment was realizing his Father's frown. What happened to this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased? In this moment, Jesus is realizing his Father's frown. The unmingled wrath of God is being poured out upon God. It's a seeming contradiction in terms. But only God could receive the unbridled wrath of God and burst through that tomb on day three. Amen? Only Jesus could be our substitute. You can't do that. Angels can't do that. Only Jesus could drink this cup. And again, that last time, Father, please, if there's any other way. But then nevertheless... If this is what it's going to take, then I'll do it. And we're told in Desire of Ages 690 that in that moment, his decision is made, and he will save man at any cost to himself. I don't care what it costs. I don't care how much it hurts. I don't care how scary and hard this is going to get. This train will not stop. Whatever these people deserve, lay it on me. Lay it on me, because I desire that they might be with me where I am. But he's not the only one that's hurting in this moment. We're also told that God suffered with his son, and there was silence in heaven. Heaven is not a place that's known for being silent. Read the book of Revelation. But in this moment, not a word is spoken, no song is sung. They stare at their champion suffering alone. Could mortals have viewed the amazement of the angelic hosts as in silent grief they watched the Father separating His beams of light, love, and glory from His beloved Son? They would better understand how offensive in His sight is sin. If we saw what they saw, we would not do what we do. The holy and strange act of God removing His light, love, and glory from His only Son. And then God has to send an angel from the right hand of the throne to do for Jesus what Peter, James, and John did not do, to comfort Him and to strengthen Him. It's this touching scene of Desire of Ages. It's a heartbreaking scene, really. That the angel comes down to the Garden of Gethsemane, and it says that he cradles the head of Jesus in his bosom and speaks tender words of encouragement to him, reminding him of the promises of God. Do you remember the baptism, Jesus? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's still true. All of heaven is rooting for you. Jesus, you will see the labor of your soul and be satisfied. It's going to be worth it. And the disciples awaken for a moment and they look across the courtyard 
and Luke alludes to this in his account, they look across the courtyard and they see this angelic glowing being cradling Jesus and pointing to heaven. This is the only reason Jesus does not die in the garden. He never would have even made it to the cross were it not for this angelic intervention. But then he gets up and he goes to the entrance of the gate and he's greeted by Judas and a group of brute guards with implements that they're not going to need for Jesus. He's a man of peace. And Judas comes up to him and kisses him and betrays him with a kiss. And then in that moment, in the midst of that stinging heartbreak of betrayal, Jesus musters the unselfish love to refer to this man as friend. Friend. Some of us have people in our life right now that we cannot refer to as friend because they went too far, they took too much, and I just can't. In His strength, you can. Amen? We're not asking you to go back into abusive and harmful situations, but the point is, the disposition of your heart can change towards them by God's grace. It doesn't have to rule you anymore. That bitterness, that anger, that unforgiveness that is crippling you and making you sick inside. Jesus can take that burden. Amen? Then Peter has a brilliant idea, and he hacks Malchus's ear off, thinking he's doing Jesus a favor. And Jesus has to get in and heal this guy, and he tells Peter, put your sword in its place, Peter. I don't need your violence to advance my kingdom. I can handle it. I could summon scores of angels if I wanted to. If I wanted to. They're not taking my life I'm giving myself for them. Because the kingdom of heaven is not about taking, it's about giving. Jesus came to give. It's the glory of God to give, we're told. Then he's given the sham of a trial where the word justice isn't even invited in the conversation. Isaiah 52 tells us that soon after this, he's beaten beyond the point of recognition. You literally cannot recognize who this man is when they're done with him. He's scourged twice. He's beaten with sticks. It's horrible what he went through physically. And then he's brought before the Jews. What do they have to say about the man that came to save them, the very Messiah they've been looking for? Here's what they had to say. We will not have this man as Lord over us. We have no king but Caesar, and give us Barabbas. And we think to ourselves, what savage monsters! How could they say such a thing? But before we're too hard on the Jews, you and I need to come face to face with the reality that every time that you and I choose our choice sins over Jesus, we're saying the exact same thing. I will not have this man as Lord over me. I have no king but Caesar, and give me Barabbas. I'm no better than them. We're no better than them. All of us, were it not for the grace of God, deserve to die because of our sins. But we have the grace of God, amen? And then comes the next, and I believe one of the most powerful moments of Jesus' vulnerability on earth. 
in his closing moments. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus tells the disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You familiar with this text? Right? If anyone wants to come after me, let him pick up his cross and follow me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And it dawned on me about a year and a half ago, well, what did it look like when he took up his? Because if he's asking us to take up our cross and follow him, then what was it like for him? Well, we're told in John 19, 17 that he, bearing his own cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. But in Matthew's account, it says, now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. Now, I have a very important question for you this morning. Does Scripture contradict itself, yes or no? No. These are not statements of contradiction. They're statements of chronology. Jesus begins by bearing his cross, but something happens. We'll see if I can even make it through this. As Jesus had passed the gate of Pilate's court, the cross which had been prepared for Barabbas was placed upon his bruised and bleeding shoulders. Two companions of Barabbas were to suffer death at the same time with Jesus, and upon them also crosses were placed. But the Savior's burden was too heavy for him in his weak and suffering condition. Since the Passover supper with his disciples, he had taken neither food nor drink. He had agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane in conflict with satanic agencies. He had endured the anguish of the betrayal and had seen the disciples forsake him and flee. He'd been taken to Annas, then to Caiaphas, then to Pilate. From Pilate, he'd been sent to Herod, then sent again to Pilate. From insult to renewed insult, from mockery to mockery, twice tortured by the scourge, all that night there had been scene after scene of a character to try the soul of man to the uttermost, but Christ had not failed. Amen? He had spoken no word but tended to glorify God. And all throughout the disgraceful farce of a trial, he had borne himself with firmness and dignity. But when after the second scourging of the cross, and then the cross was laid upon him, his human nature could bear no more, and he fell fainting beneath the burden. The crowd that followed the Savior saw his weak and staggering steps, but they manifested no compassion. They taunted and reviled him because he could not carry the heavy cross. Again, the burden was laid upon him, and again he fell fainting to the ground. And his persecutors saw that it was impossible for him to carry his burden further. And they were puzzled to find anyone who would bear this humiliating load. The Jews themselves could not do this because the defilement would prevent them from keeping the Passover. And none even of the mob that followed would stoop to bear the cross. So Simon does it, and it ends up being the means of his conversion. But the question was, if Jesus is telling us to take up our cross and follow him, what's that going to look like? You're going to collapse. It's going to be too much for you to bear, and you're going to be humiliated under its weight. That's the point, guys. You were never meant to bear the weight of that cross. And Jesus humiliates himself, making that point clear to you and to me, that the burdens that we receive in this life that cripple us and crush us out, they're not yours to carry. Come boldly to Jesus today and ask him to carry this weight for you because you can't do it on your own. And you're not a loser. 
right? What that tells me, if Jesus makes a fool of himself, collapsing under the weight of the cross that he's been given, then maybe I'm not a loser for collapsing under the weight of the cross that's been given to me. Are you with me today, guys? It's okay to ask for help. Jesus needed help. So if you've had to go through the agonizing and humiliating effort to carry the cross that you've been given, only to collapse under its load, you have a Savior who understands today. Amen? Then Jesus is nailed to this demonic torture device. They raise it in the air and slam it into the hole in the rock that's prepared for it. And as all that weight jerks on the, on the wounds in his hands and his feet, every nerve and sinew of his body has fire running through it. And then we're told this strange line in Desire of Ages that the physical pain of the cross was quote-unquote hardly felt in comparison with the emotional psychological and spiritual agony that Jesus is enduring in this moment. And crucifixion is bad, but it was hardly felt in comparison to what he's going through on the inside. Then unbelief is heaped into the face of Jesus. If you're the Son of God, save yourself. People who are crucified next to him say, if you're the Son of God, save yourself and us. And irony of ironies, it's precisely because he is the Son of God that he's not coming down from that cross. And he's already saving them. They just haven't figured it out yet. And then this voice of sophistry returns, Jesus, these people don't appreciate you. Just leave, man. And he could. But he persists. And the only constant thing he's had for 33 and a half years, the presence and the approval of his father, is now gone. In the experiential mind of Jesus, it is literally as if the Father is nowhere to be found. And words come out of the mouth of Jesus in this moment that you do not expect to hear from someone who's been in eternal fellowship with God the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is quoting Psalm 22. I don't have time to go into this. It's amazing. We don't have time to go into this. In Psalm 22, the psalm begins with seeming defeat, but the psalm ends in triumphant victory. So when Jesus is seeming to claim defeat by saying these words, he's also claiming the rest of Psalm 22, and by, by faith he pierces through the darkness and rests in the Father's love even when he doesn't feel it. And by faith, he is victor, we're told. But he's not, he's struggling, guys. And it's hard. But listen to what we're told in Desire of Ages 753. In that thick darkness, God's presence was hidden. He makes darkness his pavilion, and he conceals his glory from human eyes. God and his holy angels were beside the cross. In the very moment when Jesus felt that the Father was the farthest from him that he had been, he was the closest to him that he had ever been. And you know what that tells me? That those moments when I fear that God isn't here and that God doesn't care, that doesn't make it true. Are you hearing me this morning? The moment that Jesus thought the Father was the farthest from him he'd been for 33 and a half years, he was the closest that he had been. You cannot trust your feelings. We have to persevere through faith like the faith of Jesus and rest in the Father's love that has heretofore been revealed. The Father was lit to His Son, yet His presence was not revealed, and had His glory flashed forth from the cloud, every human beholder would have been destroyed. And in that dreadful hour, Christ was not to be comforted with the Father's presence. He trod the winepress alone, 
And of the peoples, there was none with them. And you know why? Because there's times when you and I tread the wine press alone, and there's no one with us. But there is one thing that keeps Jesus going through all of this. And you know what it is? It's you. It's you. Jesus cannot bear the thought of losing you. And we're told that in this moment, he cannot see through the portals of the tomb. He is fully convinced in his mind that he, he dies, he dies forever. He will never see the Father again. He will never see the light of day again. And even if you are saved because of what he's doing right now, he's not going to be there to see it. And yet John chapter 13 tells us that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved you to the end. To the very end, guys. This was his last deed in his mind. And we're told that amid the awful darkness, apparently forsaken of God, Christ had drained the last dregs of the cup of human woe, and in those dreadful hours, he had relied upon the evidence of his Father's acceptance heretofore given him. He was acquainted with the character of his Father. He understood his justice, his mercy, and his great love, and by faith, he rested in him whom it had ever been his joy to obey, and as in submission, he committed himself to God. The sense of the loss of his Father's favor was withdrawn. And by faith, he was victor. Amen? Jesus believed that you were worth this. He ascends into heaven, and the angels erupt in praise. You have never seen a worship service like this in your life. And as Jesus is receiving the praise, and I'm sure he would like to receive in this moment, because it's been a long 33 and a half years, he looks at the angels and says, No! No! He refuses their worship, and he presses into the presence of the Father, and he has one question. Can those whom you have given me be with me where I am? Guys, you were always on the mind of Jesus. You're all he thinks about. Can those whom you have given me be with me where I am? And the Father says, yes. Yes. So if you've been wondering this morning, does Jesus love me? Could God actually accept me, broken as I am? Calvary says, yes. Yes and amen. You are accepted in the beloved, we're told in the book of Ephesians. But I want to close the quote here uh, that Ella White wrote to somebody who was a deeply discouraged Christian. And I had to skip a bunch of stuff here to get to it. Here, Mind, Character, and Personality, Volume 2, page 640. It may not be on the board because it's a lot for them to skip, and that's not their fault. This is what she says. She says, The Lord has given me a message for you, and not for you only, but also for other faithful souls who were troubled by doubts and fears regarding their acceptance by the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that you? Well, his word to you is, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. You desire to please the Lord, and you can do this by believing His promises. You want to make God happy? Then believe what He says about you. He's waiting to take you into a harbor of gracious experience, and He bids you, be still and know that I am God. You've had a time of unrest, but Jesus says to you, come unto me, and I will give you rest. The joy of Christ in the soul is worth everything, and then are they glad because they're privileged to rest in the arms of everlasting love. You are fully known and fully loved today. Last quote, listen to this. The message from God to me for you is, this is another letter to a discouraged Christian. The message from God to me for you is, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. And if you have nothing else to plead before God but this one promise from your Lord and Savior, you have the assurance that you will never, 
never be turned away. And it may seem that you're hanging upon a single promise, but appropriate that one promise and you will, it will open to you the whole treasure house of the riches of the grace of Christ. Cling to that promise and you are safe. Him that cometh unto me, I will no wise cast off. And listen to this, guys. Present this assurance to Jesus and you are as safe as though inside of the city of God. If you have nothing to offer Jesus today but that one promise, that's enough. That's enough, guys. And as Scott's playing, and as he's singing, and this song is a prayer, I would strongly encourage you to do what is asked in this song. To come to Jesus. To run to Jesus, because he's not going to send you away. Your hand for love is passing Come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, and live. Well, now your burden's lifted and it's carried far away. Precious blood has washed away the stains. So sing to Jesus. Yeah, sing to Jesus. Mm. Sing to Jesus and live. And like a newborn baby, don't be afraid to crawl And remember when you walk Sometimes we fall So fall on Jesus Fall on Jesus Fall on Jesus And live Sometimes the way is lonely And steep and filled with pain So if your sky is dark and pours the rain Then cry to Jesus Oh, cry to Jesus Yeah, cry to Jesus The love spills over And music fills the night And when you can't contain your joy inside Then dance for Jesus Yeah, dance for Jesus Dance for Jesus And With your final heartbeat You'll kiss the world goodbye Then rest in peace 
and wait for glory's ride. Then you'll fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus, and you'll live. Oh, fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Lord Jesus, we come into your presence this morning confessing that we have a need. And if you were willing to give everything that heaven had to offer because you felt that I was worth it, Lord, the least that we can do is to give you our hearts this morning. If there are people in this room today recognizing that Jesus didn't just love the world that he gave his only begotten son, that God didn't just so love the world that he gave his only begotten son, that he also loved me individually. And I want to take hold of that today. I want to take hold of Jesus' hand of grace. I want to come boldly into your presence, and you promised me that if I come into your presence, you're not going to push me away. So, Lord, I don't feel worthy. I don't deserve it. But if you think that highly of me, I'm in. And if people are in this room this morning who are recognizing that for the first time, and maybe for the first time again, I invite you to raise your hands to heaven this morning, saying, Jesus, I want to be yours. I want to know you. I want to live for you. I want you to change my life and be everything that I need you to be. Lord, you've seen our hands. And above all else, you've seen our hearts. God, I pray that you would cover our sins with the blood of Jesus, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, and that you would do in, through, and for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God, help us, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.